morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink here with Ted Chilowitz. It's This Week in XR. Today is November 12th, 2021, uh, the week of AWE and some other momentous announcements, which we'll get to in a minute. And then at the end of the show, we have Brian Vogelsang from Qualcomm. Uh, he's the head of Snapdragon Spaces. Uh, they had a big announcement at AWE, but first, Ted, you got to talk about uh, Unity acquiring Peter Jackson's yeah. special effects company, Weta, for a whopping $1.6 billion dollars with a capital B. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that number uh, resonated with me because I believe that's right around the number that Google purchased YouTube for, aka 16-ish years ago, 1.4, 1.5 billion dollars. Yeah. So pretty interesting and yeah. a very, I think a very smart move on both companies. Uh, as we were mentioning before we started recording today, I have interesting you know, history with, with Weta and Weta Digital and Weta Workshop because uh, Peter Jackson adopted the red cameras very early that I was involved in. So I spent a lot of time, multiple trips to New Zealand, spent a lot of time at Weta Digital. Um, and then of course, in my years at Fox, uh, watched Weta Digital create uh, apes that effectively looked like real animals. And you, right. your brain would watch right. these movies. And as we were watching even daily. I guess, I guess along the way, they developed a lot of tools, which they were thinking about commercializing themselves. But then when they saw the scale that Unity was operating at, they thought, right. well, this is crazy. We're never going to compete with Unity. Um, and, uh, and plus, of course, the amount of infrastructure you need to build to have commerce the way Unity does commerce. Uh, it's just really impossible starting from scratch. You know, Unity and Unreal Engine have been developed over dozens of years and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of iterations uh, by engineering teams. So it's not something you for the faint of heart. On the other hand, it should plug relatively seamlessly into the infrastructure that Unity has built. So it sounds like a win-win. Well, and it's an, it's an interesting strategic move as well, because we all both know, a lot of people know Kim Library, who moved to yeah. Epic Games to essentially help jumpstart the cinematic part of their business, which is growing and, and well, quite robust they now. Did it. <laughs> and now the Unity guys said, well, if we can't get a guy like Kim, we'll just get a guy like, you know, Peter Jackson and Richard Taylor and all those guys that yeah. uh, did the um, the Weta side of things, which is, you know, between ILM and Weta, they're really the two major forces right. in the modern VFX industry that spawned lots of other companies. Um, so, you know, it makes sense for Unity showing their power and their wherewithal, uh, just like Epic. And it's, you know, the battle of the titans continues. Yep. Yeah, the big get bigger. Yeah, yeah. So this was AWE week. Uh, I was there for you know two and a half days. I spoke twice. I'm totally hoarse. Uh, it was so good to see everybody in the real world. Yeah, you and I did a conference in the real world before that, the Infinity Fest. So we saw each other, and then I had some personal obligations of unfortunate family stuff. Uh, so I actually uh, did a proof point to join AWE as much as I could. The, uh, the the meta the, uh, so what, what did, yeah the, the the rooms platform so yeah so what did you see remotely um, that like I, well I, I saw our, our you know our, our friend Hugo and Brian his his colleague is going to be our guest today uh, and I saw a number of the the, uh, the talks uh, mostly basically as I was traveling for some unfortunate personal stuff on yeah. my mobile phone uh, so wow. I was basically just had a you know earbud in and you know people were talking to me. I was dealing with family stuff and from time to time I would just be like, I just need five minutes and I'd be watching some stuff and and it was fine. You know what? I, I got you know certainly it's not the same as being there with the personal connections and all the dinners and events and stuff, uh, but it was a good proof point that you can join a conference remotely and if you're willing to spend the time and go to the sessions and you know either sit on whatever device you've got, you can 
absorb the content. You can absorb the media and that, and that worked out fine for me. And there was no technical glitches and stuff. It was fine. The conference said that there were 3,000 live attendees, which was is, is a pretty good crowd, right? AWE in 2016, 2017 wasn't much bigger than that. Of course, you know, we had 2018 and 2019, there were almost 10,000 people there. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a bit much. So for, for those of you listening who are not aware of Augmented World Expo, uh, which is in its 12th year, it grew from basically a meetup into the one of the most essential uh, conferences in the XR industry, uh, run by a guy who's a venture capitalist and um, an educator and an entrepreneur, Ori Inbar. He was a guest on our show. There's a there's a right. episode you could go back a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, it the downside of AWE is the big boys aren't there, right? Mm. Microsoft. They all have their own developer conferences. Microsoft, Facebook slash Meta, uh, Google. Uh, you know, all those companies have their own, you know, um, Microsoft. I would, I would argue that the upside of have their own developer conferences. So they may have had one or two people walking around or on yeah. panels, but but mostly AWE is everybody else. Now that's and not, I would argue that's, that's, the that's not nobody, people. right? I mean, there there's huge companies um, that are there like Qualcomm that are essential to the industry. And Qualcomm, of course, very outward facing toward the rest of the world that isn't those giant companies. Um, so, you know, because of their, you know, prominence in mobile. Um, so uh, anyway, Niantic, uh, which is a very big and essential company that nobody knows about, made a huge announcement at the conference. They're introducing something called Lightship, which is a development platform for world scale AR. And, you know, that in that includes, they have a, a million points in the world where you can do precise geolocation from your desktop um, so they've already built a substantial 3D model of the world. Um, they built in computer vision, which not only can segment the world that it sees, but has a semantic understanding of it. So it can tell the difference between the water and the sky, even if the sky is reflected in the water, because it knows the sky is up, not down. Right. And, so that, and, you know, it does occlusion. So if you're chasing a Pokemon around, it can hide behind a tree or run through your legs. Right, and you just mentioned it, right? The um, while not many people may know the, the name Niantic because they're a development company, almost everybody on planet Earth, with limited exceptions, knows Pokemon Go, which yeah. is their creation, right? Yeah. Um, and so, to your point about AWE, the big boys are not there, and I think that's actually a strength of AWE. I do, I do because they suck the air out of the room. Mm-hmm. It represents all the little guys, all the mid-sized guys, all the developers, and and all the people that are building the ecosystem that is so important, and, and all those. The big companies, you know, support. Unlike them. CES, where the conference panels are sort of an afterthought, um, AWE, it's the panels that people are really going to. The show floor, the show floor is great, uh, and I saw some amazing things there, which I'll, I'll bring up in a second. Um, but uh, you know, people do attend the conference, and it does spark a lot of conversation. Uh, both on, in person and on social media. And, and you did two talks during AWE. I did. I did my, um, you know, landscape of remote collaboration platforms and, you know, talked about those 50 companies that have emerged to meet this, you know, deep need we have to be together even when we're apart. Of course, there is going to be a culling, a vicious culling of that herd. Um, you know, I think they're in danger, all of them. 
some more aware than others that companies, the big companies that they need as clients, not the little people, individual small teams, but big companies that are going to pay them hundreds or thousands of seats, seat license fees, are building their own because that's what Accenture and Deloitte are doing. And those that's who they're going to turn to. They're not going to turn to, oh, let me try these sites in the Oculus app store. <laughs> so so um, interesting talk, interesting, very dynamic category because of that. Uh, and, and it's going to change quickly. My main stage talk was the metaverse talk, which um, you know was attended by a lot of people. There are probably 300 people in the room. Uh, which is pretty good, right? Because usually when I speak at a conference, there's like 75, there were probably mm -hmm. 75 people at the remote collaboration because it was a track talk. Yeah, it's more specialized. Sure, sure. Main stage talk. But, and I love speaking on the main stage. And you know, now that I've been a college professor and we've been doing this, you know, I used to get on stage at AWE and there'd be hundreds of people there and my mouth would get dry and my heart <laughs> would go like this, but, uh, you know, not anymore. It's just what I do. Um, but but it was great, you know. People were leaning in. I mean, Ted, there is nothing like the real world. Um, right. And when the CEO of Niantic, John Henke, was done with his presentation and he was ready to leave the stage, he said one thing, which I have repeated multiple times: "Let's build a world we want to live in, not one we want to escape from." Right, which is true. And on our side of the equation, while you were giving your talks. Uh, my good buddy and colleague Tim Adams from Nickelodeon filled in for me. We did a session with um, Eric from Disney, who's one of the sort of Imagineering genius guys at Disney talking about their digital landscape. So I couldn't be there. So um, Tim filled in for me in the real world. And that's a session you can also watch on the on the uh, the captured stuff after the after the uh, conference. They're going to post all the talks. So, so um, a couple well. of other things happened to me. I don't want to run out of time for uh, uh, Brian, because I know that you have a hard stop this morning. So, um, uh, you know, on the floor, uh, I saw Tilt 5, finally. Mm. Uh, and I met in person the great Cherry Ellsworth, mm -hmm. uh, who is a, you know, legendary designer and, and entrepreneur. Uh, and for those of you who haven't heard of Tilt 5, they had a massive, massive Kickstarter. Uh, they're venture funded. They've been working on a project I, I five or six years to make very low cost uh, a, uh, augmented reality glasses. They tethered to a PC right now. Uh, and uh, with the special reflective game board, you have holographic hol tabletop games. Right. And this is incredibly hard to do, but basically the table disappears and you're looking at sort of like a, a, a deep, like you're looking into a crystal ball almost. <laughs> you know, of, of these things happening inside of a three-dimensional hologram looking thingy on the table. So I saw a couple of different games. It sounds like uh, they've got a lot of developers engaged with them. I thought I saw three different games and, um, you know, it's good. I'm really, I think it's really good. I've, uh, I've done it over the years uh, and tested in various iterations of the product. And I'm, it, it's an interesting subset of something that I think is really valuable. The idea, you know, board games are really, um, a, a big business, right? And the idea of sort of creating a technology layer with kind of the board game concept, you lay yeah. this sort of board thing down on the table or, or a, a special kind of a, a cloth and then these magical things sort of happen in your world and it's and it's very low cost, right? And that's the, that's the interesting advantage of that is it's a, a good sort of starter into these more exotic MR devices, which will become more mainstay over the years. But this is a very good step into that for a lot of people. It'll be their first step into it. 
And then of course there were, I was at Vario's booth and uh, you know, incredible high resolution, lightweight, lightweight headset, uh, given the incredible power that it has. Uh, then you've got um, uh, Eighth Wall, which is focused on WebXR, which is becoming, which is really booming, right? That's, you don't need an app. You just need a camera we'll on your phone. Web, right, right, right. Uh, and that is so important because of the amount of friction uh, that is involved with, with getting people to download apps. I think we're just sick of apps. So you've got an activation. Nobody's going to download an app to see your activation. But if you make it easy, you know, everybody's sure. I mean, show me the, uh, show me the holograms. <laughs> right. Yeah, we know the fall off of, you know, just opening your camera and dropping right into something on, on a smartphone versus downloading an app, right? So you've kind of got this, and the fall off is dramatic when you ask people to download an app. So, so, so obviously a very smart strategy. So um, Sandbox... Not, yeah. not the crypto gaming company. Not the other Sandbox, right? <laughs> sandbox uh, is a location-based entertainment company that does uh, free roaming games uh, at, for uh, up to I don't know, a dozen players. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a Hong Kong company. Uh, they have an American subsidiary that, that builds entertainment centers. And they just landed $37, billion, uh, $37 million from Andreessen, which had invested in earlier rounds. Right. Uh, and is clearly, clearly a big, big believer. $37 million starts to be dreamscape scale money for uh, location-based entertainment, which is, a, you know, kind of a, you know, retail atom, made out of atoms business mm -hmm. that is incredibly difficult to scale and throughput is incredibly limited. So you have to charge a lot per hour, which Sandbox really does. I mean, it's, you know, something like 60 bucks per person per hour. Um, if you talk to a mom who's had a kid's birthday party there, their eyes bugged out when they figured out that they just spent $400 right. <laughs> entertaining a bunch of kids yeah. for an hour. I think, well, who knows what a clown costs these days, yeah. uh, but, but good on Sandbox. I, I mean, I think it's exciting that LBE is coming back. Absolutely. We, um, you know, we have our Star Trek uh, IP license to them. So they have a Star Trek experience that uh, has been very popular. They have That's right. uh, some competitive gaming stuff with, samurai swords and they have a horror experience and it's a fun experience they're in malls we're working with yep. a bunch of different vendors this is essentially well, part of the I mean, the void, the void <laughs> failed they took the void space in las vegas um so so we shall see if they can make a go where many others have failed uh, but clearly andreessen thinks they will yeah. so that's pretty important validation now, i'm going to show you one thing and then let's get to brian okay sounds Look, good what was show. waiting for me when i got home oh you got your unreal glasses Look at that. There they are. Pretty cool, Charlie. All I need now is a 5G SIM card. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they say it's compatible with not that many different phones um, other than the Galaxy Notes, the new ones. Right. Um, in, instead, it's a hydrogen phone, uh, which, you know, is decidedly Chinese. So we'll yes. see if I can figure that out. But thank you to Enreal. Enreal's got a big, big announcement coming next week. Mm -hmm. uh, it's under embargo, so I can't say anything other than it's big. It involves the United States. It involves yeah. a carrier. And I am excited as hell. Because you pretty much just gave it all away right there, Charlie. Not exactly. <laughs> but I, I, anyway, uh, there, it's a great company, I think, as an independent uh, it's exciting to see that yeah, they have a chance. A lot of time with them over the year. I got the devices here as well, and it's an interesting time that we're all involved in. So, so let's let's get to our guest. Okay. Yeah, I think we're going. Brian's an interesting guy. We're going to have an interesting talk. Our guest today is Brian Vogelsang. He's the head of product for Qualcomm Snapdragon Spaces, 
Uh, we just got back from AWE. Brian, it was great to see you in the real. It was. It was really nice to get back uh, with everybody and you know connect with it, reconnect with the community in person. Yeah, it was great. And so, and of course, you had one of the biggest announcements at the show. We did. We uh, we announced Snapdragon Spaces. So um, I think this was a little bit of a surprise for for everyone. Um, you know, Snapdragon Spaces is a, a, a platform for developers to build um, AR experiences for you know head worn AR glasses. So really, uh, really excited about this this launch and what it's going to mean for um, accelerating the pace of innovation in head worn AR. So um, and it of course was paired with another announcement from Niantic. Uh, about their lighthouse technology, which I guess is also like yours in STK, you would plug into a game engine like Unity or Unreal Engine, and you would automatically be set up to do world scale uh, AR inside of your project, you know, with computer vision that has semantic understanding, you know, shared um, virtual objects, uh, and uh, map and mapping and segmentation and semantic understanding. So that's a heck of a lot of features. Uh, and when you pair that with making it easier for uh, head-mounted displays, it sounds like it's a real gift to the creator community. That's right. We're really excited about it. You know, uh, uh, John in his in the keynote, um, you know, referenced Qualcomm a couple times, and and in the the spaces announcement. Um, you know, there's a quote quote from John just talking about our collaboration and how um, you know we we see uh, the the Lightship platform and Snapdragon Spaces working together. So, um, you know, real real really excited about these two platforms and what they bring to the developer community and and how we're gonna really get um, the market moving in headworn AR. And Charlie, this this is uh, kind of an interesting week uh, for me to talk to Brian in in the public in the in the podcast because I wear both two two hats today. I wear my co-host with Charlie hat as well as my I work for Viacom CBS and we are one of those developers that is spending a lot of time with uh, folks like Brian, Patrick Costello, Hugo Swart, the whole Qualcomm R and D team on uh, this belief structure that is moving into practice about finding all the use cases around these forms of devices and how they connect to smartphones for this sort of next-gen entertainment platform. So um, I get to sort of play both sides of the equation. Brian and I are good friends. We spend a lot of time together. We spend a lot of time in San Diego together. So uh, we can both sort of be a little bit inside track today, which is kind of fun for the listeners. So, so which head-mounted displays are developers really asking for support on? Yeah, so so I can give you a little bit of background on on kind of why why we did uh, Snapdragon Spaces. So you know we we believe that the smartphone is going to play a really critical role in uh, in helping accelerate head worn AR. We think that the the two working in tandem to get together, the glasses and the smartphone, is really important. And that's that starts with the glasses plugging into the smartphone via USB C. You know we have um, Qualcomm's been working in this space. Back to you know 2018, we we worked with 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 Unreal, and we got the Unreal you know product launched in Japan and Korea and uh, in Europe, and you know that was uh, what we call a simple viewer. So the the processing in that case is all done in the smartphone, and there's really there's really not much happening up in the in the glasses. Um, in 2019 at AWE, we introduced this concept of a, what we call a smart viewer, and the smart viewer. We put a processor into the glasses and we do some of the processing, the latency sensitive processing, like the perception workloads, like tracking your position and 
uh, look, you know, location in a, in a, in a room, let's say, or, or in the future tracking your hands. We put that on the glasses and then uh, we do some of the processing still on the smartphone, things like graphics processing and, um, and some of the uh, other, you know, more intense workloads. So this distribution of the workload is really important, we think, especially as we start to go from, uh, from a wired, you know, glass to a wireless glass. Uh, which is in the future. And uh, at the show, you know, we one of the uh, OEMs that announced in, with us with Spaces is Lenovo. And, you know, Lenovo have their A3 glasses, which follows this smart view arch architecture. It's got the Snapdragon XR1 in it, and then, um, you know, tethers to a Motorola smartphone. So we were doing, de doing demonstrations of that. And they're, um, you know, they're on board to, to launch uh, Snapdragon Spaces with us. That, that'll be the dev platform um, when, when Snapdragon Spaces is generally available for developers in March. So right, right now we're in early access and working with uh, a, a select number of companies, uh, you know, TED and CBS Viacom uh, one, is one of those. And uh, so really excited about that. And then over the, we also announced something called our um, Pathfinders program at AWE. And this is like opening up the early access to a broader set of communities. So, you know, you can go to qualcomm.com slash spaces and apply for that Pathfinder program where there are resources available like hardware and, you know, co-marketing and PR and, and, and financial resources, and that sort of thing to get, you know, developers going between now and the spring. And then in, in the springtime, you know, the platform will be generally available. Hardware kits will be generally available and everyone can dig in. And I think a, a good way to sort of position this, give it sort of a metaphor for our listeners and viewers that they would should very much understand is when you look at the current crop of smartphones, right? These mobile devices that have essentially ruled most of people's lives these days. There's essentially two products, right? There's the back end, which is all the chips that sit inside the shell, and there's the front end, which is that screen, which has increased in its resolution, capabilities, its touchscreen finesse, and all the use cases, right? But you're still locked into this space that you have to hold in front of your face. What you're working on is kind of the next metaphor where you still use all of those backend chips and even some of the traditional screen, but then it links to this screen that you're going to wear that explodes that screen into this gigantic canvas that can be somewhat transparent and you can have objects in it, or it can be opaque and it can be a sort of a movie size or large television size screen or something in the middle, right? Um, so similar to how people use their watches today as kind of an additional screen surface that they wear on their wrist in addition to what they hold, this is an additional screen surface. And you kind of glossed over it, but I think it's really important to mention that there's a tethered part of this, right, where you literally physically connect the phone and then there's a wire that connects to your, to your head-mounted display that you can wear anywhere. But there's also a future where it's going to be wireless so that the phone just sits in your pocket or in your purse or wherever and... Mm -hmm light touch sort of use cases start to rule that use. And then over time, that wireless link gets faster and faster. You might want to mention how fast it already is today, yeah. where at some point you won't even need the wire, right? For almost right. everything. Yeah, it's a really important important point, Ted. We, we um, So because we have the glasses connected to a smartphone, um, you know, initially with a wire, it, you know, really it's a, it's a multi-screen experience. So you have the real world where, you know, we're providing through Snapdragon Spaces a, a spatial understanding of that world. So meshing the real world, understanding your position in it, um, which allow you to create more sophisticated um, and immersive augmented reality experiences. Um, but the, um, you know, because we're, we're tethered to the smartphone, the apps are actually running on, on the smartphone. And so, um, so this means there, you know, we, we announced we, the platform will support, you know, game engine SDKs, 
with Unity and Unreal Engine and, and, and Epic were on stage with us at, at AWE. And uh, so developers can use the existing workflow, the existing tools they're using, like you know, the, uh, the Unreal Editor or, or, or Mars in the case of Unity with, um, with AR Foundation. And they can you know, develop with these familiar tools on the smartphone platform. And one of the things that I think is really unique about we're doing, what we're doing with Spaces is that um, you know, there's two ways to look at this. You can, you can sort of say, I'm gonna build a, a, an application from scratch for spatial computing. And it's gonna be a, a full 3D application, um, you know, living sort of in the real world. Or you can take a different approach and sort of flip it around and say, I'm gonna add a little bit of augmented reality experience to an existing mobile app I have. And so what we think this is gonna enable is the ability for the community sort of to wade in to the pool, so to speak, like get in the shallow end, start working with um, augmented reality in, in a head-worn environment comfortably and sort of learn and get their bearings and then be able to go like full in on 3D. And so this is, we, we're really excited about this approach because the, you know, the smartphone is there. This provides us, you know, a, a unique advantage. And I think the, um, this also allows the developer community, you know, if, if we sort of look at the developers as three different, you know, cohorts, you've got people who are developing head-worn XR today, like virtual reality or augmented reality. Then you've got, um, you've got, uh, uh, another cohort who are building on smartphone AR, like you mentioned earlier, Ted, where they're building on AR Kit or AR Core today, and you know this is where you're looking at sort of the augmented world through a five-inch rectilinear screen, and you know you're kind of the director of your own little AR movie, um, which is not very immersive, um, but they're still an important part of the development community. We want to you know embrace them and bring them into headworn AR. And then there's the third cohort is mobile developers. So we think this one's really interesting because they may not be doing anything in AR, but this is the largest community out there. And how can we sort of get them in the shallow end of this, get them working with it? An example that uh, Steve Lucas on my team, he, he used in a, pre a presentation at AWE was like a cooking application. So let's say someone's building a, a recipe app and it, and it lives on a smartphone. It's a smartphone mobile app today that people just use in their kitchen to, um, to cook with. And, you know, what if you could uh, just start like shallow end by, yeah, exactly, not having your hands uh, or being, being hands-free, but also not getting your hands dirty touching the screen. If you just displayed, all right, this is the ingredients, and you display that in, in 2D, you know, floating in the, in the world above, above your kitchen. And then maybe you add a second screen, and that, that includes like a step-by-step -step instructions. And then maybe you provide a little interactivity where you can check, you know, the recipes using your hands off or the steps off as you go, or maybe then you have the ability to put a timer on and float those timers above each of your, you know, pots, let's say that are cooking um, or, you know, something that's in, in the oven that's baking and those timers are all independent. So it's, this is where someone who is just has basic mobile app development skills can now take something like Snapdragon Spaces, put in their app and just begin adding incrementally a little bit more AR with each release. And then before you know it, they'll, they'll, it will be a full, you know, almost as if it was ground up developed in, 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 in 3D. You know, so it's, we think this approach is, is, is unique and it's going to bring more developers into AR than uh, head-worn AR. Than well, we look, what's, what's important about that link to the smartphone is it provides you instant scale, right? So even though you're just on one of the two major platforms today, which is Android and likely mm -hmm. iOS at some point in the future, you're already talking about billions of devices, right? Not just hundreds of thousands or millions of devices that have the ability to link to these things. Um, and I know it's a, it's a small select group of phones today, right? But it's going yeah. to 
sort of grow in its in its capacity. But that allows developers to see an economic future to this and not just a let's try and develop something and hopefully in the years to come, they'll make some money with it. They can actually develop something, see a platform that's real, live in that kind of gray zone is probably the wrong terminology, but let's use the gray zone of the, the magic window phone AR and then the promise of this kind of heads up AR. Yeah. Um, you're at you're at scale already, even with just the, the small subset of phones that you're supporting right now, right? Yeah, that's right. I think that there, um, you know, we do the, the ability to, to tether the glasses to the phone does require a little bit of software embedded in the in the, the smartphone chip itself. We, we chip that with our with our chipset, so it's very easy for an OEM to turn on. And then the rest of the space's platforms downloadable. We really wanted to make um, the, the the technology upgradable and 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 down and down, mostly downloadable, so that we can evolve it really really rapidly. And you know, work with iterate with the developer community to you know add new um, improve the capabilities. For example, you know the the. The, the features, if you look at something like um, like meshing the real world or doing occlusion, those are dependent on algorithm, perception algorithms, like you need a depth, a depth algorithm, and that's a machine learning based approach increasingly. And, um, and then you need a 3D reconstruction of that environment. So those depth and 3D reconstruction you know, machine learning algorithms need to be up updated as we, you know, can train them, make them better. That'll ultimately result in a, in a, in a more detailed mesh which will allow you know, developer to create more you know, immersive and realistic experiences um, in the real world. So we want the ability to keep the platform you know, up to date as those um, technologies evolve. And this is something we've, we've built in so that you can think of the thing in the phone as sort of a thin layer that handles the um, that pipeline of being able to do the rendering um, on, the, on the glasses and do encoding and then be able to stream that back to them. Uh, and and handle a little bit of that you know communication for the perception. I talked about the the some of the head pose and that sort of thing gets calculated on the glasses and get transmitted back to the smartphone. So those those um, lower level communications is what the what the piece the software bits on the smartphone and enable. Do you want to mention a couple of the the brands that you mentioned in the keynote and some of the other press so that the yeah. developers that are listening to this can know? Oh, these are the first phones, the first companies that are supporting. Yeah, so we had um, we had a whole bunch of uh, partners in you know that we are announced in our in our an announcement last week. So we had or this week we had um, on the engine side both Unity and Epic, and Epic was on stage with um, with us. We uh, it was uh, Rafaela Camara. She she um, introduced you know Epic's support for the the platform, and and then also brought on stage uh, Felix and Paul Studios. And they brought out a, a really amazing sort of a trailer they introduced around an application um, with the Jim Henson uh, IP called Storyteller. And it's a like an immersive storybook where you actually hold a physical book in your hands. And that book has markers and trackers on it that the, that the Spaces platform can recognize. And this um, allows that book to sort of come alive in, in 3D. And, um, and of course, you know, spill out of reality books. Yeah, the it's, future, baby. It's, it's, no, what, what I was actually yeah, that. what I was referring to, Hugo, is is like the Oppos and the, the companies that uh, are yes, pretty yeah. supporting your yeah. efforts in this world, so that the developers yeah. know what phones they should be actually buying next. That's and right. Things like the Google Pixel work yet? Is that sort of coming? You know, where, where would you sit with all those things? Yeah, so we, we didn't announce specific phone models. The, the the glasses we announced support for are the Lenovo, you know, A3. In in our announcement, we also had Motorola and Oppo and and Xiaomi. 
so those were, you know, had lend quotes and, and are supporting the platform. We, we, but we haven't gotten to specific details of smartphones. Yeah, so that's we'll start to reveal yeah. that as we, you know, in, in the spring, when we get to general availability and, uh, you know, early next year, you'll start to see more of a roadmap. The, the other thing we, we, we included in the announcement was, uh, was collaborations with Deutsche Telekom, um, T-Mobile USA and NTT Docomo. So this is interesting because, uh, you know, both Deutsche Telekom and T-Mobile their sister companies, they have um, really uh, aggressive innovation programs, uh, the innovation centers, and um, they have engineers and business people focused on XR. And so we're going to collaborate with them to engage with the develop, development community in their regions and run programs where we're, um, we're you know, uh, helping developers get uh, uh, access to spaces device based devices and the platform itself and then you know build experiences based on it through both the T-Mobile accelerator in North America and then the um, and then the Hubram Innovation Center in uh, in uh, Deutsche Telekom in, in Germany so so that that's fantastic and then on the developer side I mentioned Felix and Paul you know uh, you know we had a, a number of others that were in our announcement um, you know Res resolution games was on stage with us. Uh, with with Hugo at AWE, and they're they're really interesting because uh, they are have a real strong history in, in head worn standalone virtual reality. They're so they developed for the Magic Leap, the uh, brought Angry Birds. Angry Birds. They, so did. Birds. Yeah. they did. They're fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, Tommy and team. And what was interesting about them is one, they announced at AR Studio, so they're you know kind of committing to augmented reality um, in a, in a more meaningful way. Um, yeah. But the other thing that they they mentioned and talked a little bit about is that they're, you know, when they think about building for VR, something like the, the Quest, they're actually thinking about how that application could be brought over to head-worn augmented reality. Mm -hmm. And and if, if you, I think if you're, if you start with that, you know, sort of premise in mind, that opens up, you know, new possibilities as this head-worn AR market starts to accelerate. We see more, you know, more devices start to come in. Um, so, you know, they, you take a title, like they have a title called uh, Demio that's really popular. Mm, yeah. It's a tabletop, uh, like dungeon crawler mm -hmm. game and it's multi-user. So, you know, you kind of think about, all right, that's, that's perfect for augmented reality. It's um, everyone's sitting around a mm -hmm. coffee ta table playing um, an immersive, you know, tabletop game. And, you know, in the, in the future, you know, there's a large community of, of uh, uh, there's an ecosystem in VR today and standalone VR. So if you could bridge those communities between AR and VR, that uh, that could that could be really exciting. So, so yeah. So we're, we we were really uh, it was really fantastic to to reveal this you know platform to ecosystem and, and um, you know get started. And don't don't forget to mention that that ecosystem in VR that you mentioned is largely powered by you guys, right? The Quest Two, which is the most popular uh, head worn you know standalone VR device, is a Qualcomm device underneath the covers, right? So it is, yeah. You know, we've been we've been working in XR for over a decade, and uh, and really back in 2014 started thinking about how do we make virtual reality standalone, uh, you know, and take the technology we have in mobile and 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 bring that to a device that's completely untethered, doesn't require a PC, inside out tracking, you know, no lighthouses and other things. And so that culminated sort of in, we built reference designs, which are like these blueprints for uh, OEMs to use to bring products to market more rapidly. And um, and so we we had a, a, a uh, you know, good success with that, introducing like three DOF based standalone, standalone devices initially. And then those became the, uh, the six DOF devices that we see today, beginning with the devices like 
the um, you know the Vive Focus from HTC, and there was a Lenovo Mora Solo, and then there was um, you know devices like the Quest One, and, and now the the Quest Two, and you know Pico's devices, of course, have been um, really helping evolve the industry. So we're we're um, yeah we've been we've been in this uh, a, a long time, and um, and we want to kind of do the same thing for AR is, is get it get the market moving yeah. more quickly, and we think the the phone plays a key role in that. So. Um, Last question, we're, we're almost out of time. And, and that was uh, great, Brian, I'm learning so much. But um, aren't we a little dependent on and gated by the slow rollout of 5G, which is why you see Enreal launching in places like Korea and Japan and Germany before the United States? Or, I mean, is, is, you know, isn't that a lot of this technology, a lot of the you know, head-worn, uh, you know, tethered or untethered to a smartphone? Uh, dependent on that increase in bandwidth. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, first off, I think I mean five G is 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 um, um, I wouldn't characterize it as being uh, slowly rolled out. It's it's uh, it's rollout is is pretty pervasive, you know, globally. But I think the um, I, I think that you know there are elements of XR that can be reliant on five G. One of the things that five G affords is extreme low latency and you know high uh, throughput. And so one of the things that Qualcomm has been doing with 5G is distributing that computing from, you know, I talked about some of the processing in the glasses, some of the processing in the smartphone, but some of the processing can also happen in the mobile edge. Right. And so we, we've done a bunch of trials in virtual reality with operators with what, what we call kind of a split or remote rendering where we move that graphics processing off of the smartphone and or the glasses, the headset, and we move it to the, the the mobile edge. And this requires us to take, let's say it's a virtual reality headset with eye tracking and controller tracking and head tracking, all those the you know every, every few milliseconds take the pose of those those uh, the head and the hands and the eyes. Uh, and move those up. Yeah, we have to send those up to the edge, and then we have to do a you know the graphics processing there encode it and then stream it back and that whole you know motion from motion to the photons hitting my eye that that loop uh, has to be extreme low latency so that's something that 5g i think is is really enabling we did that with vr and we've you know been doing proof of concepts trials with virtual reality and we're going to um we're going to be bringing that to augmented reality as well so we think it's that that will allow you to you know, build, visualize bigger point clouds or visualize, you know, higher resolution um, meshes uh, and, 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 you know, ob 3D objects. So the, the idea is to continue to sort of de-weight the glasses by allowing the processing to essentially move off board, right? Which I think is a hybrid approach with, like, there's something up, up in the cloud, which is valuable, but there's also just on-prem in your pocket, right? So That's right. You got a near term and a far term way to go. That's right. Yeah, we it's sort of the balance of what do we do in the glasses, what do we do on the smartphone, and what do we do in the mobile edge. But five G enables us to now kind of move these things off of the off a of smartphone because you've got. I mean, the challenge is if you look at a virtual reality headset, it's about five watts, and you look at you know your high end gaming PC and a GPU in there, it's running at three hundred watts or something. So you know yep. just the um, the ability to you know there's there's no way to put that kind of um, uh, capability into a into a, into a device, or it's you know going to last a, just a few minutes. So um, so this ability to access or tap into 
higher end processing capabilities at the edge, you know, not, not, not maybe all the way to the cloud, but maybe within the operator's infrastructure or distributed computing at the, at the edge of that network, you know, close to the, closer to, you know, the antennas. Um, that, that, that makes this, um, this latency loop really, really short, and we can now do much more interesting things. And, and I think that is going to, that's going to continue to evolve over the next couple of years. We're going to see, you know, more of this deployed. It's being deployed in, in sort of private networks today in enterprise, where like an LBE experience is, is, is one where if you can just get the backpacks off of people, but you still want to have that, you know, 300 watt uh, GPU experience, you can, you know, use standalone. And this is one of the, one of the trials that we did in, in, in VR was around that. And the, <clears throat> so. Yeah, Brian. That's what we're working on. It's great, Brian. Brian, thank we you for coming on the show. For a long time. Thank you for coming on the show and um, sharing all that great information about spaces. Uh, I know there are many developers out there listening to this who are going to find that very, very valuable. So good luck with the project. Um, sorry uh, we missed Hugo, but it was great to see you and him and Patrick and the whole gang uh, at the show. So that's what we got this week. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for joining us.